Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is one of those magical moments when we start with a question in our warm-up, ones that don't often make it into the podcast, that is so motivating and exciting for the group that we continue talking about it the entire time. And in this case, it's career advice. Uh, as the group looks back on things that would have helped them at the beginning of their career and what advice they would pass forward. We have a fantastic conversation full of details and stories and laughter um, and sage advice that I know even if you are well on your way in your career, you will get a lot out of. Enjoy the conversation. So we have a summer intern program and somehow my name keeps coming up, you know, with some of, you know, in some group of our analytics team. And I had this intern reach out to me for, uh, you know, just an introduction and, you know, you know, you know, some of, you know, give me some advice. So I've got, I think she's like 19 or 20, you know, I don't think she's graduated university or whatever. You guys just gave some awesome, like a real world career advice. You know, what would you tell a 19 or 21 year old, you know, presumably smart person starting out their career? Because I'm cut, you know, I'm slightly terrified of talking to this person at this point. <laughs> because, you know, because, because it's like, you know, you know, you know, it's like I could take this beautiful, probably intensely optimistic spirit and crush it like an egg. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I don't want to do that, at least not yet. So, so what would you tell? What would you tell your 19-year-old self as, you know, the actual useful thing you've learned in your career? Stand up for yourself. Good advice. Yeah, but learn to say no and avoid scope creep. Uh, Ty, you're muted. I, I was going to say, first, you have to uh, explain what scope creep means <laughs> to a 19-year-old. <laughs> mm -hmm. that is easy there, there is that that, um, that video from uh, Malcolm in the Middle where, where Hal <laughs> tries to change a light bulb yeah <laughs> Malcolm in the Middle is career advice is actually I think a very wise approach <laughs> especially if you're using the mom it, Don is is the intern studying or is I have, she going at a particular part of the industry or yeah she, yeah so she's she, so she's she's an intern on our analytics team um oh okay so presumably she knows presumably you know presumably she knows a little something about data science or statistics yeah or i was gonna say i don't know spend time spend time learning things that don't change Mathematics, physics, statistics—that's <laughs> that, that always that's always works. You know, I think that's some of the most sage advice I think I've ever heard. Right? Is spend because I mean I spend I mean all of us we spend all of our time in technology and it's like everything is like moving at nine hundred and fifty miles an hour, exactly, um, or eleven hundred and thirty kilometers an hour or whatever. <laughs> um, and Thank you. Uh, um, 
not just a good idea it's the law right yeah <laughs> well i'm i i i'm so, so so i mean i'm here in california and i still haven't figured out fahrenheit i've lived here for like 20 years 22 years now and i still haven't figured out fahrenheit drives me crazy um <laughs> i have so. the opposite problem the, um, <laughs> I was going to switch us back to interns from metric. For... Okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry to derail the conversation. No, no, I, no, actually, actually, I think the interns, the interns uh, questions are really good. One. We, we, for, for rack end, as small as we are, um, I actually really uh, enjoy working with interns we have, um, I think four or five interns working for us right now, like marketing technology, um, sales process, like we've, we've got a lot, a lot going you, on. You don't um, have the, you don't have the, you know, the intern who, you know, who washes my car role or. I, you know, I missed that, that job wreck. I should have, I should have included it. Um, I did, I did have one of the interns sending, um, like, uh, swag boxes and stuff like that. And they were happy. Yeah. They, that was, that was convenient actually. Um, but, the, you know, I, I think to Rich's point, storytelling, um, like one of the smartest things an intern could be doing is listen, work on storytelling and listen to how um, the people around them tell stories or don't tell stories on things. Because um, that's the thing that I've regretted most in my career is taking so long to learn how to be a better storyteller. Um, and I think that that's, that's mm. one of the most neglected skills. Um, I, I the, the thing we work good. with on interns really hard is like, I, I wish somebody had, t I, I, I did a lot of sales training in, early in my career and that's been useful, but storytelling has been, um, in, you know, uh, uh, an improvement for me. But um, the biggest thing that I find with interns is teaching them autonomy. Like mm. they, they, need to learn how to work with sort of minimal direction and learn how to when to fill in the blanks and when to ask for help. It's a problem. Like if they don't ask for help, it's a problem. And if they ask for too much help, it's a problem. So they need to get, look at the meta on, are they asking for enough help and, and find out and if they're asking for too much help, find out that too. But, but, but there seems to be uh, quite a big stigma. Um, but at least in in in, in, in younger um, uh, professionals and in, in, in or, or or younger career hopefuls uh, against asking for help or or just like in in the industry in general yeah. like uh, so the it's hard to show weakness yeah so 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 that was actually some of the advice mm. I got on. I got early in my career was was asking for help was not a sign of weakness, and uh, and that is I mean this group is a is a is a fantastic example of that right it's like there's lots of stuff I mean I mean I think everybody here at, you know freely admits that there are many many things that they don't know despite being uh, you know despite being you know experienced and viewed as you know probably viewed as you know in sort of a slightly sageish um kind of manner by many people but um yeah and, and, and a lot of it also depends on on the experiences that, that people have in the, in the formative years one of the things that had a 
one of the people that had a big impression on me was a teacher that, that was uh, an academic mentor. And he didn't know everything, but he was honest about it. Like if I asked a question is, uh, and, and he didn't know it, it's like he would say, well, I don't know, let me find out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's an extremely healthy attitude that, that is is hard to vocalize for some people. Well, I, I found that that can really turn around the sales conversation too. When they ask you a question, and you and instead of trying to bullshit them, you say, "I don't know the answer to that, mm-hmm. but here's how we can get to the answer that you need." Mm-hmm. And um, and and that that built that's a trust building element. Yeah, uh, it, same same happens in job interviews. Like you, you when when you apply for a position, you're not gonna know everything that, that's involved in there. Otherwise, you would be applying for for a higher position. But it, it, if for example, if if I get asked about Azure, like, I don't know about anything about Azure because I haven't used it. Well, I've used AWS and, and, and GCP and, and, and DigitalOcean and, and other cloud providers. And I can say, well, th- this seems to be related to this other technology that I use. I'm sure that, that I, I can draw parallels and, and, and hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you that when I was at Celestica, we had a program to, re- to recruit not only interns, but like fourth year and fifth year co-op students, mostly from engineering and comp side. And the stand up for yourself comment that I made earlier was really tied to something else, which is learn how to defend your position in a meeting, which is tied to storytelling. And Mm -hmm. the other part of it was also teaching them that just because you're in IT doesn't mean you don't have to learn the business. So if we actually ended up recruiting them for the full year of the program, we had them job shadow other parts of the business in order to get promoted from that intern role. And so learning the way the business actually operates, I think, is critical to giving interns advice because they think that they're in a fishbowl and want to stay in that fishbowl until they realize that the fishbowl that they're in, particularly IT, has two sets of customers, the internal and the external. And if they don't understand how the business actually works, they're always going to be um, behind the eight ball, not only in their strategy, but also in their storytelling. Uh, also, um, related to, to learning to, to snap for yourself, um, and it, it's it's important to to impact on these people that like e- even senior staff members can be wrong, and, sure. and, and that that is one of the first things that, that I tell new team members. Like after I introduce myself, and I say like, okay, I know I'm confident, and I come across as confident, and and, and I'm certainly assertive, but if you think I'm full of it, just tell me so, <laughs> because I, I I don't want yay. Uh, I want the yes men around me. I, I, I want I, I want people who who think through things rationally, and if they find a problem with, some, with a solution that I come up with, bring it up. Otherwise, I, I I don't give them the right solution. Well, I I um Klaus, I I use some something similar with literally everyone um, I hire and provide reminders on a regular basis. 
that um, the only person that can help me uh, get better, generally speaking, is the person that sees and experiences what I'm doing incorrectly. And so I expect them to be responsible to me the same way I'm responsible to them uh, on their success. So, you know, I, I challenge my folks all the time to not hesitate to um, come up and get in my face in a positive way, which is generally how I do that kind of stuff as well. Um, but to tell me if I'm, you know, if I've been saying stuff that pisses you off or if I've been neglecting uh, what I'm supposed to be doing to make the place a good workplace or to make it effective getting work done, then, you know, you need to come and tell me because I can't learn if I don't know about it. And this all ties back into the storytelling thing. That yeah, Rob I think so. Yeah. Um, I got another one for you all. Uh, early on, one of my first managers at Hewlett Packard um, said, you know, gave me some really great advice, which is don't surprise me. Don't, you know, if something is going wrong, reach out and get help. And the one thing you don't want to do to your leadership is to put them in a position where they're surprised by something when it's too late to, to recover or, or it's much more costly to recover. Right. That's admitting mistakes is a, is a big deal. I have a, I'm curious about the, and, and then we'll pivot back to the topic of the day in a, in a minute, but I'm curious about people's feelings on, um, softening statements that people use. Um, and sometimes these, these end up being a gender, a gender discrimination defense. Um, Joanne's nodding things like saying, you know, Hey, is it okay if I ask or, you know, um, you know, getting permission before you ask a question um, or softening things up to take a, a more assertive stance and then presenting it in a less assertive way. Um, would you advise somebody who's starting their career to drop those behaviors, add those behaviors? How, how should they approach it? I would yeah. say add. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I uh, and, and to Joanne's uh, point, um, uh, I, I never know for sure what's right. Uh, uh, historically, I've trusted my gut on what it means to be a good human and to get the most out of the humans around you uh, and yourself. And I've tried to, and, and oftentimes I've ignored leaders that I've had who um, patently disagreed with that strategy. Uh, and like a, like a boss I had who specifically told me, you don't need to say thank you to the team, Mark, you pay them. And I was a young manager at the time, very young manager at the time, but I inherently knew that that was just bullshit. That was just wrong. Yeah. Right? But <clears throat> there is, there is a point and this is the delicate part. There is a point when a, a, a percentage, a significant percentage of your audience as individuals over time are more like, just get to the fucking point, Mark, stop drawing me flowers. And I don't, I oftentimes, don't know what that right balance is. And I'm, I'm perpetually at risk of, um, of saying more cushioning statements than I need to, instead of just so, getting to the point. And, and so, that, go, ahead. go ahead. So, so Mark, some of the, some of the best advice I got from really, and relatively recently in my career, like in the last 10 years, which sort of says how old I am, um, 
is when you're doing executive level presentations, right? Always start with the conclusion, right? And then, and then fill in the blanks afterwards. Um, and this is this as an engineer who's like, no, you ground everything in first principles and then you build up from there, right? This, this was sort of a massive gear shift in my own head. Yeah. Um, and it sort of goes with that. Um, uh, and, and, to, and to Joanne's point, um, this, is a, this is, first of all, this is a young lady. Uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm very, I'm, I want to be very conscious of, of, especially as a young lady, frankly, entering a male dominated business. And as much as it is changing, it still is a male dominated business. Um, you know, I want to give as, you know, uh, you know, be sensitive to that and give good advice. Um, I've, you know, I've had, I've had women who've worked for me. I've had female managers, you know, I've, I, I it's, it's, but, it, but, it, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, that, that, that I'm giving, um, giving good advice there. So I, I'm really appreciating sort of that, that, that end of this discussion. Um, well, if, if I can add a point, I would say, and, and, and this goes to stereotype and I don't mean to go down that road because I'm an ardent feminist. If you don't add the flowered picture even to the smallest extent, as a female, you get labeled bitch right off the bat, no matter what circumstance you're in, whether it's an executive presentation, meeting a team that you're supervising, whatever, whatever, whatever. So there are certain phrases that you can use that will paint a little picture of a flower as opposed to a giant picture of a flower. Nine times out of 10, I usually start a sentence with respectfully, I would say this in response to that. Simply to say, I understand your point of view. I'm trying to be mindful of the political climate, but then I can be assertive thereafter because I've prefaced it. And I think for young, younger women, many of whom I mentor within organizations coming up in STEM, it's still a good watchword because better to be viewed as overly polite than to be labeled as bitch or overly assertive. You can then get to your point straight through and you can certainly rip a strip off of someone's hide if you do it with the right words. And that choice of respectfully, I want to add, or I would comment this sort of prefaces that and it gets you over that hurdle because whether I've had male or female superiors over the course of my 30 years, it's always worked for me. And what I find with some of the younger folks, in particular, the Gen Z group, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to them, they're very bright people, but they don't have that unedginess that doesn't make your, you kind of cringe. Like, where is this coming from? Because they're always trying to relate their point to a bigger issue. And it's not the issue of, of the, the uh, discussion. It's a political issue, it's a societal issue, it's a norm issue. And they use that in a way that can be very offensive to a lot of people. So I, I try and counter that with tone it down, remember where you are and stick to your point. So if you respectfully give a comment to someone, make sure that it's in the same germane 
as what you're discussing. Do not waste people's times. I, I find it interesting that, that you consider politeness uh, keywords uh, to be uh, softening statements. I, 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 I was looking at it from a different perspective. Uh, for like uh, Rob, like the statements that you said, like if I may, um, and so on. So I mentally I, I draw a, a distinction between those uh, and and keywords like you use, like respectfully, uh, mm -hmm. mainly in in terms of the assertiveness uh, that they um, that they uh, uh, that they present. Like when you say respectfully, I think this or that. You 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 set the the you set the expectation that you you listen to them and you give mm -hmm. them your opinion. However, when you if you say if I may say something, um, I feel that it draws a picture of self doubt. So so with that in mind. Uh, I was initially, I was leaning towards uh, uh, arguing that something statements should not be used, but that's because, like words like respectfully, I don't consider those to be softening statements. Uh, however, I, I do see you, your position as well, like that. That if you don't use those, like for you, for you, those might be softening statements, uh, because otherwise you. A uh, person might be called a, a bitch or an asshole, uh, so it's um, hard to draw a line. So, 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 so I've been called an asshole many times in business. Um, um, I actually have no problem with it, um, right? So long as I mean, I mean, as as I've pointed out to people at various offices, and and this is perhaps perhaps not sort of, uh, you know. I'm actually not there to make friends, um, right? I'm there to get work done. I'm there to, I mean, I'm there to move the needle. And there is, um, you know, there are groups of people who, who either, and the people I've collected in my career, right? You know, I've, you know, I have a great deal of respect for the, the, uh, and then there's lots of people who, you know, just get run over by that. And, you know, who aren't, who aren't part of sort of my ongoing career group. Um, so uh, I can, I can see both sides of that argument. Um, I mean, I've chosen a particular side of it. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know whether that, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't think it was a conscious choice. I think it's just sort of how I'm wired. Um, so I Interesting. I, I actually, I actually think that those of us, and I used to do this a lot more, and I watched, especially as I moved up in organizations, my positional authority made my assertive tones. It amplified my assertive tones. That meant that if I said something, people would just shut up, and I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't get a dialogue after. And so, part of me changing the way I, I talked about it was coming back and saying, okay, if I say this too assertively, that's the answer and there's no discussion, which is good when I mean for that to happen, but it's really bad if I'm trying to well, get 
get get a discussion of. But but hold hold on a second, because I what I see on sometimes the other side is somebody who, if you're asking permission to ask a question or asking permission to be part of a conversation, right? Joanne, I think you're right. Having having softening words and being understanding, you know, you don't want to just cut across somebody, but you also don't want to you know act like you need permission to join a conversation. Um, and, yeah. and it's, and, and that, cause that, when you're, if you do that, then you are seating your place at the table and I, people need to be careful when they do it. And what I, what's sad to me is I know a lot of women have trained themselves in, in the, in situations like this to do that. And they've needed to do that or they were, they were literally attacked. And, yeah. and so you have to, that's why I was asking the question. I, we, we have to do better, but. I think if just to comment on Rob's comment, yeah. I think for women in my generation, we were brought up a certain way, not to be respectful, polite or quiet necessarily, but rather to use our authority and our intellect more than our words in certain situations. I mean, I have used in many, in many cases, in many a case, respectfully, I think your argument does not hold water <laughs> and waited for the response, which is basically a more polite way of saying you're full of you know what. But it it may it, it has two results. It either shuts down the conversation completely or it presents the gauntlet challenge. And it's only it may be a gender thing, but it, it just you know, gets me where I want to go. And the higher I went, even into the C-suite, it would stop a conversation, but allow me to ask for comment back. I don't think this argument holds water. What do you think? To keep that dialogue going. But, you know, I mean, for, for those I see in my son's age bracket, late 20s, early 30s, they have no filter whatsoever. And it's no, it's it's very off-putting. Yeah, having a, a bunch of Gen Z folks under the roof at my house, I can I can uh, uh, agree with what you just said wholeheartedly. I, I, I've got I interact with them all the time, and I still don't understand how. Like, what's the? It's not brain dead. It's just that it's like they lack empathy and trying to understand the other point of view you mean they're having conversations like it's twitter <laughs> yeah you, you know i would actually disagree with that um and and, 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 and may, maybe it it's it's a difference between gen c and professional environments and gen c in, in, in the household mm. I, I i would perhaps agree that in the household that they might be uh, lifting that filter more more often, um, but uh, I I mean I, I do interact pro professionally with, with a lot of Gen Cs because I'm I'm in DevOps. I like I I, I talk with with Dev teams and, and Dev teams are invariably younger than than me, and um, again it, it could be again it could be tainted by my assertive disposition that they are more polite to me. Uh, but uh, even when, when I eavesdrop, like the, 
they do have that filter. So they, they have the capability. So I, I, I would not make the or, originalization and, and say that uh, Gen Z does not have a filter. I, I think it's more situational and uh, it may be more polarized between the household and, 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 and public situations. Um, I could relate a, a very long story in, in a few words. So at a recent meetup, there were a bunch of Gen Zs and a bunch gone. of folks <laughs> our age. And all I can tell you is that four of us with experience were ready to get up and walk out halfway through the meetup because they were so unfiltered and so disrespectful and trying to um, represent that they were very much, pardon the expression, know-it-all, when they really knew very little. And one of the gentlemen who was in the group, and we were all basically there as mentors, these are startup people. Um, and so, you know, we're mentoring them to give them advice. Um, basically said to them, pardon the language, sit down, shut up and learn because we've already established ourselves and made it. You haven't even started. And I use that as representational of the interactions I've had with many of them, because along with unfiltered goes with a lack of respect for boundaries. You know, we do know more. We, we do have a certain amount of wisdom under our belt. That's not to say that we're omnipotent or all powerful, but at least acknowledge that we have that experience and knowledge. And that's, that's why I don't believe that they have filter in a professional setting or otherwise, but that's I, just my take. I, I, I think you, your, your experience with that has been negative, negatively tainted by close encounters with too many gaggles of tech bros. <laughs> too many what? Gaggles of tech bros. Yeah. Because the, like the, the behavior that, that you that you that you're is uh, defining there. And, and and when you when you mention startups, uh that, that's where it clicked to me. It's like your experience was with tech bros. And and yes, they are they are unfiltered, they, they are uh overly proud of themselves and uh, and and they, they, they don't listen. Uh, to to sage advice. Uh, however, I I would I would argue still that tech bros are not representative of Gen Z. Ooh, I think that's true. We, we maybe right. We're doing a weird disservice to the industry. Um, and granted, this is a little bit of right. You know, get off my lawn. I guess looking back on on how things work, but. but but we're starting people, right, especially tech people coming straight out of college at incredibly high starting salaries, right, compared to other professions in the, in the market. And I think that that creates an illusion of um, knowledge, right? Just because you're paid a high salary doesn't necessarily mean that you have knowledge and experience. But the, the and maybe this will even out over time, but the it's important not to assume that because you can Google things and, and find and learn them really quickly that you have experience, but that's a hard thing to tell somebody or, um, when, when they're like, Oh yeah, I can spend 10 minutes Googling and, and know everything, you know, um, 
about a topic because because <laughs> you wrote the Wikipedia on it and now I know it. <laughs> um, uh, but um, so I, I have a question because we're Don. I love that you asked us this, and I'd love that this group can can pivot and spend you know uh, forty minutes talking about something as as awesome as this and and um, have very tangible advice in it. Um, we can spend 20 minutes talking about content moderation, or I can push it. We can keep down this topic because I think this is really interesting and then push content moderation part two to a future meeting. Uh, my, my perspective is if there's only 20 minutes left, we probably could get more out of uh, doing what we're doing now than trying so, to do the whole subject. I'm so, 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 so I've been taking some notes and so let me sort of reflect some of those notes back and I've added a couple things and I'm interested in the group's opinion. One is, and from Joanne obviously is, uh, um, you know, stand up and stand up for yourself, recognize when you're right, but also be prepared to, um, to defend that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, another bit of sage advice is, you know, focus on skills that don't change. Um, uh, be a better storyteller or focus on, learn how to tell stories, right? Learn how to balance, you know, autonomy and taking direction. Um, also, and the sort of cor the corollary to that is don't surprise your boss with uh, certainly failure. Um, so probably okay to su surprise them with, with success. Um, uh, learn the business, right? Whether you're in IT or some other part of it. Um, understand the difference between internal and external uh, customers. Um, uh, old people can be wrong. Um, <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> um, uh, uh, when something and 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 uh, something I've added there is, and this is sort of a take on what Rob said is, you know, you need to sometimes be afraid of the hippo right? The highest paid person in the office, right? Um, just because, just because they're an authority doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that, that they're, they're the wisest or that they are, they always are doing the right thing. Um, and the thing that I would add onto that is certainly in executive presentations and talking to executives, you know, start with the conclusion, right? And then, and then be prepared to, to, to defend the conclusion as opposed to starting from first principles. Um, mm -hmm. So, Don, I would say that's right 75% of the time or okay. even 85% of the time because there are times when you got to read the room because you may have a senior executive that actually does want a little bit of the details, if only to test that your conclusions and the options that you're proposing are based on sound process, right? Um, so, I, yeah, again, you know, most of the time, cut it into small chunks, but you got to read the room. Too. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that, the thing that I've, I mean, part of it is when, you know, certainly when I was not a baby engineer, but sort of in some of the formative engineering years of my career, um, I worked for Japanese companies. I worked for Sony and I worked for Hitachi. Um, and the, the eye charts that the, that the engineering teams would put up in terms of, you know, of, of supporting information to their, to their, whatever that they were working on. Um, it did not, I mean, maybe it works well in Japan, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't, 
you know, it just sort of caused, especially North American executives, um, just to completely glaze over on sort of, you know, please get to the point. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I, again, this is something, again, maybe it's something that comes with experience to sort of, again, read, you know, you know, maybe that's another piece of advice, right, is learn how to read the room. Um, uh, when uh, when uh, I remember, I think it, I, it was, again, uh, I was interviewed um, uh, by an alumni publication um, about 15 or 15 years after I graduated. And they said, you know, well, what was the most valuable course you took in university? Um, and they were expecting, of course, you know, something to do with computer science or whatever. And I actually told them it was the drama class I took. Um, uh, cause it, you know, it taught you, it taught you a lot of these skills, right. You know, get up in front of a room, be able to, you know, be able to tell a story, you know, you know, have, you know, be able to, you know, to improvise on the spot, um, those kinds of things. Um, yeah, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like ad lib, right. Or, uh, impromptu, uh, speaking. It's like, uh, you're talking and I'm thinking, I always get dinged on my slide decks because they see the slide deck and there's like 35 slides and there's like all this crap in there. What, but what they don't understand is I've got five slides at the beginning and my goal is to usually just use one of those five slides mm -hmm. for whoever that is. And then knowing that you can, you can follow the story, the discussion, wherever it leads based on who's in the room. Cause it's sometimes, you know, it's where well understood. Sometimes, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, be quick on your feet. Well, Don, I would add one, one item to your list. Sorry, Klaus, I didn't mean to jump in front of you. I just saw your hand was up. Um, homework, do your homework. Always do your homework and do it well. Uh, and that includes who's in the room, because if yeah. you don't, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but one of the things that I always did if I had an executive pitch, um, no matter what level I was in, I made sure I knew who was in the room and everything I could find out about them Yeah, from who they hung out with and who they were good friends with at their own levels to what they had done previously. So I could draw on it to tell my story better. Mm -hmm. That's particularly important. Um, if you're having a meeting, especially with someone you've not met before or not mm. had a chance to have a, a fairly any kind of depth, do your homework, check their LinkedIn, find their blog, <laughs> look at their GitHub, you know, all of that. You don't have to bring it up that you've done that. When you all, you know, if you're introducing yourselves, you'll ask about things, but having enough of an indication that you're interested in them, that you, you don't have to tell them you did it, or you don't have to indicate that you've done it, but that has paid off so many times mm -hmm. and just yeah. started the conversations, made things work so much better. Yeah, that's uh, uh, that is really that's really important, Joanne. Thanks, especially if you're customer facing. I mean, mm -hmm. particularly in sales. Like, I, I, 
I, yeah. I, I've lost count of how many times I, I, I stopped being interested in, in a vendor's product because when I asked for pricing, they, they tried to give me a, a one-hour presentation on, on, on what their product is. No, I know what the product is. I already researched it. I, I asked for very specific technical questions. I don't need to know the basics. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You're actually to... reminding me of my sales, my set, like the sales, mm -hmm. the sales training I took, which was yeah. don't be afraid to present price, right? Don't be, you know, do your home. You know, it's okay to, to build rapport with somebody by learning about them. That's, that's good. Sure. Um, like these are classic and even sale in sales training, there's, there's a dummy curve where you're like, it's good to say, I don't know. Um, and it's also uh, the other thing in, yeah. in sales training is it's good to, when people disagree with you, they tell you more. <laughs> about what their, what their problems are, then, then not, actually, I mean, there's a ton of stuff like that. Actually, yeah. as on a consulting, on consulting gigs, somebody asked me something that I don't know, especially if they do it in a way like, in a challenging fashion, which is <laughs> my usual retort, my favorite retort is, you know, I don't know, and no one has yet paid me to go out and find out. <laughs> this is this is a this is this is a pay-to-play business right <laughs> i am coin operated awesome. yes i'm i'm having i'm having issues with my own internal sales teams here it's like <laughs> oh we're gonna do this for, we're gonna do this for the customer it's like no, no no we're gonna do squat for the customer right until they like i mean this is a multi-billion dollar enterprise they can afford to pay us for our time um, uh, Anyway, uh, going back to the list of oh, things yeah. to add, uh, one thing that, that I would also recommend is uh, find a champion, someone who will stand up for you and, 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 uh, and make sure that when the, the, the room is crowded and, and, and noisy and you're trying to get your word in edgewise, they give you that space. And then they make sure other people give you that space too. And, and, and this also applies to like to us as well. Like we need to be on the lookout for people who need to do who 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 look like they're 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 trying to say something and, and don't get their their chance. Actually, I Is think. That, go ahead. Joe. Sorry, just a question. Are you referring to a mentor or a champion? Because in my mind, those are two different things. I, I would say champion. Like a, a mentor, uh, it can be a champion, but I, I, I'm particularly for, for young people and, and particularly for underrepresented demographics. I think a champion is more important than a mentor. Ooh, I think that that's an important Ooh. distinction. Jo Joanne, I actually, I said, I was thinking the same question and I agree with Klaus on the, on a champion is somebody who's going to fight for you. A mentor is going to give you advice. And I was thinking through, in our organization, right, when we've had people who were not doing well, one of the signs of a person who wasn't doing well is they hadn't had champions. And, um, okay, I see them as, as one and the same. The champion is the person who coaches you, guides you, mentors you, and gives you that space. 
And they're two separate things in, in depending on the context. The, the mentor in a large corporation is usually somebody well above you who can sort of guide you through the political higher, you know, the political side of the organization and the hierarchy and, you know, um, might help you bring projects forward. The champion can be anyone above you or below you who is constantly talking up your project, your insight, your guidance, whatever, you, whatever it is that you're leveraging to build your brand or make your mark. Yeah. Interesting. I, 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 would, I would use a different uh, definition for, because okay. for me, a, a mentor is a peer, likely more senior peer, but not necessarily from which you can, can learn uh, and, and improve yourself. Whereas a champion is by necessity a superior not not necessarily immediately superior but higher in in the chain it can also be horizontally uh disconnected uh who has the the clout to empower you so they need to be able to throw around their weight when it when necessary So, so, so perhaps like we need to discuss what we define as a mentor and a champion because obviously we, we, so, we have different opinions. Well, we're not so, doing that in nine minutes. So, 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 so here, so here's. I'll put it on here, the list. So, 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 I would, I would argue that they that they can be the same person, but in in my own personal career, they have been they have been there have been many champions and there's many mentors. Um. A champion must be somebody in your organization and it, and it, and it must be somebody either above you. It might be a near peer above you or quite a bit above you um, who, you know, who gives you the air cover to, to make a difference in that organization. A mentor, right. Doesn't even, even have to be in that organization, right. It can be, I mean, I have turned to mentors, you know, outside of the company I work in, outside of the industry I work in, right? And and to, to gain uh, advice, but it's, you know, it's either on a, you know, I have this issue that I'm that I think I'm going to encounter, or I was just in this meeting and I got my ass handed to me, you know, what did I do wrong? Um, uh, you know. To me, it's a. To me, the champion is there in the room with you, um, and the mentor is either with you before or after the, you know, uh, those interactions. And those, in my mind, and again, and in, in my experience, that's that's how those people have interacted. That I've interacted with those kinds of people. A question. So I, I, so I would um, go back to. So I would go back to my strategic sales training, where they talk about the different buying groups. And, and think of a, a um, champion as someone who has some sort of decision-making authority. Uh, so that gives them the ability to provide the air cover that you're talking about. But then it also opens up the, the whole process to other uh, players in the roles like the gatekeepers and the influencers. And, you know, um, and so it's, it's almost like, it's not almost like you are running an influence campaign. There is some big problem you're trying to solve 
and how do you rally the troops to solve that problem in a way that that is successful to execute and champion is one but then we have different plates we've got to run with all of those other different elements in the buying group um and sorry i'm getting very salesy on this but it's part of the internally politically as well right um i mean that's how i got uh the whole test automation done at the hp um superdome lab was running an influence campaign across multiple organizations with people that uh that are making decisions about outcomes but then also people that are influencing the decision makers and then you have the other groups that are that are uh pushing you off because they see any of those changes as a threat. So you have to have a strategy to neutralize those uh, detractors, right? And that it gets very complicated. Is, so, but my point so, is. So, so, so I got a 19 year old intern. I need to explain this to in 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and and okay, you'll, be able so to luck them, you'll be able to point them to the podcast too. <laughs> So, Don, one of the things that I would say about that then is, and maybe I have a different perspective because of internationalism or whatever, but I've always tried to create champions that are customers for myself or for my team. If I can get a champion in a, in a customer, an external customer, who's going to support or raise the flag for me, my team, or any part of the organization that I represent, that is my best champion because that will spread industry-wide. And to me, that's a much more important sort of point than within the organization itself because that's gonna filter back to the organization like it or not because they're a customer. So good customer feedback you know, spread across an industry tends to be a, a, a sort of broader range and a better way to do it. I don't have sales training, sorry. <laughs> so, so Don, to go back to your question, my, my answer there would be don't listen to anything I said first. Uh, and, <laughs> and, Respectfully. And sec <laughs> secondly, you got to explain them to it. If you want to get things done, you've got to get people on your side. So don't be mean to them. Don't tell them they're wrong to their face in, in a meeting with peers, uh, you know, and get them to understand That's what it is that you're trying to do. And, and, and by the way, if they know better, then they're going to help you refine your approach to something that everybody else can get behind. Right. So that's kind of the it just don't get people on your side. There's, there's actually, there's a, oh, not focused yet. Get people yeah. on your side. Get people yeah. on your side. It's going, it's, 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 it's going in my notes for the meeting. I, I actually, I actually have a corollary to that, which I think is important, which is no one is actually ever wrong. That, that one of the things I think that, no. that we've done in, that's <laughs> been toxic, um, I used to do a lot that was toxic. I don't. Well, I think that's completely wrong, Rob. <laughs> and, I, uh, I, I disagree with that completely. I, you know, but I, respectfully. I, res I respect your opinion. But, re on, on but this, respectfully, um, the the what I what I found is that if you if you if you jump to the right wrong 
you end up shutting you you end up putting yourself in a in a frame that is really not helpful but the thing that's interesting to me is that you, you want to extend that courtesy for people it's useful in the meeting because it, it in when you're face to face but it's really helpful to extend the courtesy outside of the meetings outside of the interactions with the person because one of the the biggest dangers that you can have is you can be all nice in a meeting and be like oh yeah I'm, i agree you know handle it well in the meeting and then leave the meeting and tell somebody else that oh, this person is the stupidest, dumbest, whatever. They had horrible ideas and things like that. If you, you have to remember that the meeting doesn't end at the meeting. And it doesn't so begin it. It doesn't begin at be, the meeting. It doesn't begin at the meeting. It doesn't actually, there's, there's the advice for you. The meetings don't begin or end at the, in, on, on the hour. Um, because I, you know, if you, if you turn around and you're like that person, you know, you, you, you bash somebody outside of a meeting because you disagreed with them, even if you were nice to them in the meeting, they're going to know it's going to come out. It's not mm -hmm. helpful. So that's a, uh, that's a very Japanese way to approach things. So I, I do agree with a, with a, with a uh, not using wrong uh, part. Uh, and I, I learned that uh, at university, actually, when I was a teaching assistant, um, grading assignments, like I, I, one of the very first things that, that that the professor taught me when I was grading is don't use wrong. You may use incorrect. You you may use mistaken, oh, but don't use wrong. Uh, so I was uh, wrong I get, for, so, so 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 I got a drop, um, but uh, I was voted the worst teaching assistant ever. Right, not, not that year, the worst teaching assistant ever. And I'll just leave the I'll leave the conversation <laughs> oh on that. Hey, before anybody guys. drops, uh, I want you guys to know this is officially my first Zoom call over my new Starlink. And um, wow. that's what's enabling me to be here in Silverton, Colorado. Beautiful. Uh, with wow. uh, about 50 megs down, uh, down. Yeah. And only about four up, but it doesn't seem to be affecting the Zoom call. So. Yeah. Uh, so that's very exciting. No, no, four megabits is tons for video. No, I've got, I, I have a, I, nice I had job. Starlink out at the, I, I'd Starlink out at the lake last year and, you know, and I could get audio and certainly email and stuff, but video was a challenge. I'm pleased to see that it's working better. Well, I am at 10,500 feet at the campground and there's a virtually clear sky above me. So we don't have any uh, issues with trees or anything like that at this location. Just watch out for the elk. Watch out for the elk. Yeah. Hi. Thank. First of all, thank you very much, the Collected Brain Trust, for the the advice. This has been fantastic. I, you have no idea how much this helps me um, on this. So thank you very much. Thank you for bringing the topic. Yes, I think we had a lot of fun with it. So are you going to write sure. a book, Don? You should write no, a book. But I, you've got, you've got no, an outline no, but, for a book. No, I, well, I mean, we have an outline for a book. I certainly have an outline for an article, which I might, which I might actually write. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Good. Thank you. Thank you. All. Have a good one. See you all soon. Bye bye. Cheers. Take care. Part of the magic of COP twenty thirty is having conversations like this, when we actually can sit down as a group and reflect and share experience and, and really be a, a casual group.
It's what the 2030 is about, and I'm hoping that you will join us. We're going to pick up this topic again in the future and dive deeper into things that we started, mentors versus champions. Um, what is good storytelling? Those will be topics, and you can be part of it. Join us at the2030.cloud, and I will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.